the third window from the right two flights up by the third window from the right Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Third Window Films podcast. My name is Ben and with me is... Adam from Third Window Films. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, yo, is yo. The, uh, this is the first episode of 2023, Adam. It's, we've made it. We made it into the, the new year. If you haven't heard us before, uh, this show is basically a celebration of all things Third Window Films from the perspective of the excitable fan, being myself... And the man himself behind the scenes, Mr. Adam Terrell. Yo, yo, tired old man. Tired old man. Yeah, we're both a bit under the weather and tired. And I feel like this is how we start every episode now is like just how old and decrepit we are and how shit's hard. We're not, we're not that old, to be honest. But uh, yeah, we're always tired. Yeah, always tired. Well, we were kind of having a brainstorm, weren't we, about what we could do this year to kick things off. And uh, one of the things that comes up a lot is people want to know, you know, how you got into the business, what you like about it, what you don't. And so we thought, why don't we actually ask the audience what they want to hear and just do a kind of Q&A session? I think the funny thing to me was I said, okay, I'll, I'll put out a uh, a calling all calling all cars sort of thing saying you know give us your questions to adam terrell one of the greats of you know east asian film distribution in the uk and you were like no 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 no. this is uh this is the third window films and the benji box podcast so they should ask questions to both of us and i was like uh, i don't know okay and then i put out the tweet and then lo and behold just got like flooded with questions for you and like i was like i knew this was gonna happen no one gives a fuck about what i think it's your, uh, your wording of the, your wording of the tweet tweet i think yeah but yeah a couple of people were like and you know what does ben think so you know i'll be here too but you know i'm here to moderate i'm here to ask the questions and yeah hopefully we're going to learn a bit i'm sure i'll learn a bit about you too adam even though we've known each other for a couple of years now well uh, you have some good uh, questions yourself so let's answer them together Okay, cool. So yeah, we've got a whole heap of these. Um, what we're going to do, we've, we've numbered them all. And at the end of the show, we are going to put the uh, numbers into a random number generator. And whichever number gets spat out, that will be the winner of our competition. And they will be able to get the third window films Blu-ray of their choice delivered right to their front door. So stick around to the end for that. Um, and yeah, we're just going to read them out as we go. You know, some of them might be repeated. We got a lot of questions that kind of cropped up again and again. Obviously, stuff that you know is on the zeitgeist at the moment. But we'll just see how we go. As you know, with this podcast, <laughs> it's not the most professionally planned, so we'll just take it as we see it. Okay, right, cool. Right. Are you ready, Adam? Yes. Okay, we'll start at the beginning. So this is from Dean Metwali from Facebook. Um, and he puts, thank you for your wonderful releases in uncovering more unknown titles for us. What is happening with Suicide Club? And is Science Sono early years box set feasible to be released? Now, yeah. this is something that comes up a lot. I think a lot of people are wondering what's happening with uh, Sono's Suicide Club. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the questions that we didn't uh, put into this because the person said, no, wait, don't don't answer that, was what is the question you don't want to hear the most? And uh, I think this is one that I've gotten a little annoyed with, but that's uh, my, my fault. <laughs> um, uh, yes, so the, the thing with Suicide Club uh, that I 
should I explain uh, is that um, so when I agreed to uh, license the film, it was obviously before the allegations came out, and I agreed for a certain price, which was quite expensive, because I had also pre-sold that in theory to a video on demand platform who were going to pay enough to cover the full cost. And then the allegations came out and they, the video on demand platform backed out of the deal, as well as all the other people that were already agreed to work on the release, such as doing audio commentaries and um, uh, making new illustrated artwork and stuff. So it left me with the, con- the fact of having to pay an amount that I wouldn't be able to make back, as well as a lot of people that wouldn't help with the release, therefore making it a, a more unattractive release because there were no bonus features available for it. So, uh, yeah, and also at the same time, the dollar became incredibly high and a lot of these deals are set with dollars. So the, I think when I initially made it, the dollar was not as bad as then when I was supposed to have to pay for it, the dollar was like twice as much. So, yeah, all these factors came together to make it uh, uh, not really feasible. And... Um, yeah. yeah, the Sion Son early years is something that uh, has to do with rights issues. Um, I think the initial, the, the people that put it out in Japan was actually Sion Sono's ex-management agency. And they had sort of like taken the rights from him or he had agreed to for them to handle the rights when he was still with them. And then they split ways very badly and they tried they were all suing each other and the rights for those films became really up in the air so it's not they're not something that could be released whether or not uh there were these allegations that are would put some people off buying them anyway yeah it's so tricky isn't it that so you were well in the in the in the weeds of getting that out when everything happened and it just completely changed the landscape understandably um and obviously he still has a lot of fans out there and you know he's he's fighting back pretty hard against a lot of the allegations himself so who knows what will come of it all but absolutely it sounds like a very kind of it wouldn't make good business sense at this point to start investing in something that really we don't know what's going to happen next yeah i mean i tried to renegotiate with them to say look look all these allegations are out can i get a a cheaper price because of this and that and and they said no so um obviously and it was a lot of money and uh you know also, every, for every person that says, why don't you put out Suicide Club, when I were I to put a post out about Sion Sono, like, I think I put one out on, on on Instagram the other day about, like, love exposure, and somebody said, like, why are you working with this rapist or something? So it's, 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 it's yeah. a bit, uh, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, I've spoken on here before about Sion Sono. I don't think he's anywhere near what he's been made out to be, but... You know, at the same time, it's a, a sensitive subject and um, I don't really want to have to get in the middle of it. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks a lot there, Dean, for really starting the show off with a <laughs> with a kit. No, but it's good to address that because obviously it's something that we get asked a lot, you know. And Suicide Club is an absolutely fucking astonishing film and it should be seen by more people. Um, so, yeah, who knows what happens. Well, well actually, it will. it has been will be out in America anyway. Um, I think it's Discotech or Media Blasters, I forget who, have already announced that they're putting it out anyway. So um, people will be able to see it. Uh, I don't think it's 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 going to get out there. So, so people needn't worry. Okay, cool. Okay, number two, we have this from at Elacuvia Japani on Twitter. Again, there's a lot of people sent in multiple questions, right? Um, 
you're still just staying under one number in the German Revolution, but we'll, we'll, we'll address them all. So the first question Elikuvi asks is, what are your thoughts on older Japanese cinema, like films by Ozu, Oshima, and Kurosawa, etc.? Um, yeah, of course, I love all sorts of cinema. Uh, I love strange cinema. I love classic cinema. Uh, I went to film school and uh, studied Citizen Kane like the rest of everyone. <laughs> so, so I love Ozu and Kurosawa, of course. But uh, uh, And I love probably Oshima a little more because he's uh, he's a little made a little more new wave and sort of out there titles. But, um, you know, it's uh, you, 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 if you love cinema, you love those films. At the same time, maybe... I'm a little bored of of watching classic films because I've spent my whole teenage years watching them and going to film school. But uh, you know, you, you they're amazing films. Yeah, totally. I, I'm the same. I, I like to constantly be moving forward and seeing what's happening next. Um, but then I'll discover stuff that I really should have seen a long time ago. Like this or last year, I saw Tampopo, and I was like, "Well, holy shit! This is one of the greatest films ever made." And you know, I should have watched this probably twenty odd years ago. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of classics out there and they, but they're classics for a reason because they're, they're great films and uh, you know exactly you, yeah. well look the, the, the second part of their question um, actually pertains to the future which is cool it was uh, if and when Shinya, uh, sorry, Shinya Sukamoto makes his next film will Third Window Films distribute it? well in theory because I've handled the majority of films but that's not always up to me. For example, with Shion Sono, when I released uh, Love Exposure and Cold Fish and all that, and and uh, then uh, Guilty of Romance uh, was out, and part of uh, his uh, Hate trilogy, of which I had the other two films, um, a, a bigger distributor paid more money for it and took the rights to it. So if somebody else comes along and, and, and pays more money, then then they will have the, the chance to release it and not, not me. Yeah. You and Tsukamoto, though, have a good relationship, though, right? And you talk quite frequently. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very close with Tsukamoto. But if for some reason a sales agent that he that I usually don't work with were to take on his film, uh, which is not uncommon, then they it's them who, who decide uh, because sure. they're the, the, the international sales agent. So, you know, it's not always up to me or even Tsukamoto. Fair enough. The third part of that question was, is there any hope to get Suicide Club anymore? <laughs> so we've already answered that one. Okay. Number three is at Columbo Rolf on Twitter. Their first question is, what is the Third Window film's bestseller? Uh, probably uh, either Confessions, Love Exposure, or One Cut of the Dead. Uh, those are the, probably the three biggest sellers. Yeah, sure. I mean, two of those have been classics for a long time. One of them is relatively recent, but... I would have thought out of the three of them, probably One Cut of the Dead was the biggest one, wasn't it? Yeah, but Confessions was played in about 50 cinemas. Um, uh, right. Uh, so uh, that was a, a big seller. Um, that was an Oscar also, submission, wasn't it, or something as well? It, it was, but also submission and Oscar nomination are, are, are two different things. Uh, so. Yeah, sure. But, I mean. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, was a, it was a big seller, and um, it was a time when, when DVDs sold a lot more than they do now, so... Uh, in total, it probably was the biggest uh, set of all. Okay, the second part of the question is, what is your purpose in life, question mark? Will we finally get that this year? I think this is referring to Survive Style 5 Plus, right? Yeah, so so the thing with that is um, I'd been uh, working with the rights holders to remaster it, and th- we were all moving along 
under the pretense that we could sell in order to raise the money we could sell it to an american company because that's where the most money comes and the money is required to pay for the full remastering costs uh, just my just me i can't do it so uh, uh then i found out that the rights the music rights weren't cleared for america uh, hence it never being released there and therefore i couldn't get the the large amount of money needed from an american sale to remaster it so right now I'm still trying to find other countries in the world that I can sell the rights to to gain to get enough money so I can remaster it. But it's it's taking time. Yeah, for sure, I get that. And there's actually, loads of films. There's loads of films hmm. that ha- happens to that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, for example, the Katsuri Ishii films. Like uh, those were other examples where I had to find other distributors in other places that that could get the money. But in some cases, a film has has music rights that can't sell and therefore you know i can't just pay pay for the full cost myself um you know it'd be great if these japanese bloody companies would pay a little themselves and 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 release it in japan which is where it should be making the most money but they they don't want to make the effort so it requires i'm the one who's always required to go out there and sell it on their behalf for sure there's there's one more part to this question um that involves me so Cheers, Colombo. Um, he says, uh, or they say, give me your top three Japanese actors and actresses. So You can go first. I could go first, can I? <laughs> okay. Well, actor-wise, he's been, he was my most watched actor of last year, without a doubt. Um, and it's Tadanobu Asano, which is so cool that actually we are releasing all this stuff this year and he's going to be out, you know, He's been going to be back in the zeitgeist. We're really excited for that. Um, but yeah, that's an inevitable one. Um, if I'm looking at like films that or actors that if if they're in it, I know I'm going to love regardless of whatever the fuck it's about. One of them has to be uh, Koji Yakusho, who I've just been in love with since um, basically seeing all the Kurosawa stuff he did. You know, like Cure, and he was even in Pulse in the in the opening of that. Um, but then obviously I mentioned it earlier, but Tampopo as well. Um, I think the guy's just a legend. Um, and then on the other side of that, it would be, uh, Sho Aikawa, who, uh, is just like effortless, effortlessly cool. And I mean, anything he does is gold, but when he works with Takashi Miike, it's basically, I have to wear a condom when I watch it. Otherwise I'm going to make a mess all over myself. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah so it's sure. hard to just pick him as well. You got to have like the Shoaikawa, Liki Tak- Takuchi. Like uh, they should be as one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for sure. Um, I think actresses. It's a bit harder for me actually because like there's a lot of there's a lot of actresses I really really rate, um, but I wouldn't say there's huge bodies of work that I can kind of reference. I know one of them that's amazing is uh, Sari Ito, which you you work with a hell of a lot. Um, yes, great. For, like, I think I saw Love and Other Cults and was just absolutely blown away by her. And I was like, I need to see everything she does from here on. Um, another one that you've put out a lot of stuff for is uh, You Aoi or Aoi You. <laughs> I never know how to pronounce it. Aoi Aoi <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, who, yeah, she's just got this presence on screen that's captivating but she seems to have the chops as well and she picks cool projects for um, sure 
if if I was going to pick an ultimate one though, like the ultimate uh, queen of the Japanese cinema scene, it would have to be Miko Kaji. <laughs> classic, <laughs> classic. Yeah, Lady Snowblood, uh, Female Prisoner Scorpion. Uh, was it Stray Rock Cat? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. What about you? Yeah, I mean, uh, starting with actresses, I guess it's um, it was hard for me too. Uh, I was trying to think like, who do I love? Almost every film they've done and even then I, I can't really think of of three but um i love Uno judy because um she's uh in films that i love like total surprising fast swimmers or summertime machine blue is always cute and and uh, perky and and quirky and, and charming uh saidi ito of course uh, has to be there because uh she's got you know, a wonderful range and is in uh loads of uh, amazing films and is a brilliant actress and uh makiko watanabe um uh is in films like love exposure and um She's also uh, in in picks very very good roles in uh, in in indie films and and major films alike. Nice. And then for for, for actors, um, yeah, Asano uh, he's got to be in there. Um, and then Shishido Joe because I, I really love uh, Suki Seijan and that uh, era of Japanese cinema and uh, <laughs> Susumu Terijima, ter, uh, oh. just because just because he is plays like really silly f- roles sometimes, like uh, Funky in, Forest, in, Funky Forest, yeah, yeah. But then he's like. Stuff. That's the, the uh, Kitano stuff as well, where he kind of yeah, plays yeah. gangsters. Yeah, I love him. Yeah, he's he's, he's got quite a great uh, fun body of work. But then again, you you know, Aikawa Show and Koji actually. I mean, you could pick a million, and 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 there's just so many great, great name, great Japanese actors. I do, yeah, I do struggle with that. People say, oh, you know, you love Japanese film. What's your favorite? I, I've got a hundred. I've got hundred yeah, favorites. I can't really push it down. Anyway, great questions there, Rolf. Thank you. Uh, okay, number four, we have Stephen Dunn via Facebook. Stephen writes, huge fan of the label. My question is related to films that will soon be going out of print. I only just snagged a copy of Ruined Heart and didn't realise it was no longer available most places. Do you know what? Actually, you've sent me a copy of that. I haven't actually watched it yet, so I need to get on that. Um, but he, put, he continues, when a release is about to go out of print, is this announced on the Twitter page or is it posted at other places? I don't recall seeing these announcements in the newsletters. And are there any current releases that will soon be going out of print? That's a really good question, actually. I think I saw you do something similar to this recently, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, just now, coincidentally, the, some of the Takashi Kitano films are going out of print, uh, which are... Um, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Scene of the Sea and Kids Return. So I'm trying to clear out stock big time through Terracotta. So I, there are, if you're listening to this, there might still be a few left at five pounds a piece uh, because I need to clear out stock. But usually it's complicated, actually, because some films, instead of actually the license ending, they just run out of stock and it's not really worth it making new stock. So there, uh, yeah, sometimes I'm sort of in between, like, do I make new stock or... or do I just let it be and, and it's sort of a waste of like a year or two of license when I'm not really selling it but then like with for example like a, ru- a title like Ruin Hearts like it's just not going to sell it anyway so yeah. like some of those things just go out of stock like that in, in sort of fade out without me really realizing because they're, they're just con- they're just not really big sellers um Kitano is going to be a perennial seller though isn't it yeah but in that and in that case the license expired and I needed to clear out stock so hence me putting them on sale very cheaply. And in that case, I did put loads of posts on Twitter and Facebook. But even the, actually, Ruined Heart, I did mention on uh, Twitter and Facebook and all these things that it was going out of print. But, you know, the problem with social media is that 
you know, if you don't see it then and there, you'll never see it again. Yeah, so, sure. I don't know. I mean, even with newsletters and all that sort of stuff, I mean, you can write something, but if somebody doesn't see it at that time, then people just don't see it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've I've been thinking in the past about this because people have asked me before, like what, and I, I don't really know what to do, to be honest. Um, I started making a letterbox page with like uh, titles that are out of print, but um, yeah. I, I we can keep really people up to date via the podcast, you know, we could talk about it here. Yeah, for sure. But then people have to listen to the podcast. I mean, it's, well, there's always people that don't if, know. If they're yeah. not listening to the podcast, then more fool them, I say. Because they, they, they miss out. Exactly. This is the place to be. All right. All right. That was a cool question. Thank you. Um, okay, this is another one from Facebook. It's Tucker Myers. It says, what's your process for deciding which releases get new original cover art? And when one does, how do you go about deciding which artist to commission it from? Well, if it's if it's a title that has, like in many uh, Japanese older films, has no um, no artwork or no stills or something available, then I have to make something from scratch. Which is, uh, uh, so, but but it, but sometimes like the, the original Japanese artwork is quite cool, so I want to use it again. Um, other times, like if I want to make it a collector's edition, if it's a title that that is. I don't want to say worthy of a collector's edition, but I know we'll sell more and therefore I can put more money into the release, such as like an electric dragon or something. Then I want to have a nice artist making something that fits with the, with the feel of the film, such as um, I, I use Ian McEwen, McEwen a lot because uh, his artwork fits, fits his uh, like Tsukamoto style and stuff. So he did like Gemini and he worked with the goblin and the upcoming yeah. electric dragon. So um like his work fits certain films, but may not fit other work films. So, uh, you know, who that, did that, um, uh, Dangan Runner? Was that Ian? Yeah, that was Ian as well. Because that was a f- I f- fucking love that cover. It's one of my favourites that you've done. I think. Yeah, it fits fits the film really well too. And that that was also a case where the film had literally nothing that I could use, and they didn't even to the point where they didn't even have any still photos. So I had to like find an old pamphlet from the movie on like a Yahoo on a Japanese auction site so I could scan <laughs> it in to get images that, that were 300 DPI because if I screenshot them, uh, they're, they're not uh, good enough for print use. So, um, yeah, that was, uh, I was forced to, but, but at the same time, like, uh, he made really nice work for that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, another great question. Cheers, Tucker. Okay. Number six, Nathaniel DeBell, also from Facebook, Adam, I would just like to thank you for all your past and present work towards distributing East Asian films. A lot of these start off with a bit of praise for you, Adam. So ah, well, take it nicely. They want the competition prize. Yeah, exactly. Nathaniel, it's going to get you nowhere unless you praise me a little bit, actually, maybe. Then. <laughs> um, okay. I'm particularly passionate for non-contemporary Japanese film, but I'm often frustrated by how few live action films are easily available on home media. Within the podcast, you have often made mention of issues which have curtailed or delayed your releases. Can you speak in more detail about the process required and the difficulties encountered in distributing Japanese films on Blu-ray and DVD? Now, this is funny because I feel like the whole podcast is you complaining about <laughs> the problems of... <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Japanese make so many films and they make films in this like uh, film committee system way that is... Uh... I've talked about it in the past and it's very complicated, so you should look it up. Um, but in those ways, the older films, the licenses and such became very hard to, to work with. And also 
because Japanese are always making new and new films, they don't really care so much about archiving or restoring their their, their classic cinema. I right. mean, uh, unless it's like Ozu or Kurosawa, like barely any films get digitized in Japan. Uh, as I was even mentioning with, with these like Katsuhito issue films and stuff, like I have to raise the money myself to remaster it. But, you know, it's their film they should remaster it themselves to re-release it in Japan or to archive it themselves, but they just they just don't care. Well, they don't care because it's, it's probably not that financially feasible. Uh, so in that case, you know, a lot of films just don't have the materials uh, to re-license and put them out on, on Blu-ray, and uh, and even and also the, the the rights are such a complicated issue. I mean. Uh, you know, talking actually about uh, you know not being able to release films like uh, films like August in the Water and and uh, is one that is uh, everybody's been asking for, and that has been, I mean, just to update on that, that's been like hell trying to figure out the rights uh, to a point where actually, I mean, Sogo Inishi and I both want to do it together, but he has to like sue the government to get the rights back because right. like the company that made the film went under and the like because of Japanese like copyright law or something like the rights are like ended up being held by the government and he has to sue the government, but he doesn't have time right now. So until he has time to sue the government to get the rights back for his own bloody film, you know, it's in limbo. And, uh, and there are loads of these films like that. So um, that's really one of many difficulties that uh, put off Japanese non-contemporary film. Yeah, I mean, that's the most common thing that we say. I was like, why can we release this? And he said, no, we just can't. It's like the rights are in limbo. It's impossible, you know, and until they figure it out themselves, there's nothing we can do. So, yeah, it sucks. Expensive, expensive too, on top of that. Uh, it's, it's so, but yeah. This next question actually kind of relates to that slightly. And it's something that I'm really interested in too. So, it's a good one. It's from uh, John Dracup, I believe, on Facebook. Um, they say, how do you reconcile with yourself slash the company the choice between releasing a film you love to pieces but may not sell well commercially in the UK and a film that will sell well but you may not personally like as much? Uh, would you ever not release a film simply because you aren't a huge personal fan of it, even if it might actually sell fairly well to the British public? And actually, you know, you and I have conversations about this a lot, don't we, where I'm like, this would sell like gangbusters. And you're like, yeah, but that's too easy. So what's the point? I want I want people to see films that, you know, are hard or, or would never get the audience normally. Yeah, that's always been my, my mentality. Uh, I, I really want to release films that haven't been released. But, but at the same time, many films in the past that I do like, but have sort of gone against my 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 ideas in which they would get released other ways for example the Takashi Kitano films um those films I love so much personally but I never really wanted to release them because somebody like somebody else would anyway so uh but they made a lot of money and I knew that and that would help me handle other films um so I do sometimes I mean we're not talking about films that I I don't like uh which I wouldn't I wouldn't release a film that I I don't like Uh, just to make money uh, not at all but i have released films to help out friends like um rapid eye movies is a german company that i've talked about a lot because i really uh res- love their them and, and respect their owner so much and they release like they release like uh quite strange films that i don't personally find too appealing like um 
a lot of pink films. I'm not really a big fan of pink films myself, but mm. because, but I want to help them out, uh, Rapid Eye Movies, because sometimes they've paid to remaster films or produce films like Underwater Love and Ruined Hearts, and they need help distributing them. And despite them not me not being massive fans of those films, I have released them to support Rapid Eye Movies. So in that case but i mean they're not very big sellers to be honest but um they're not films that i'm personally massive into i mean but when it comes down to it like if i don't personally love a film then i find it really hard to to talk about it or promote it yeah it takes a lot of your life up right a lot of time a lot of energy and if it's not something you fully believe in then it seems like a wasted wasted effort yeah you're right because considering i'm doing so many things myself uh i'm putting so much time into it uh I can't. It's. I feel like it's a waste of of my time if I'm doing it just just for the sake of making money. Uh, then I could just be a sort of businessman and and delegate to other people to do that sort of stuff. But I guess that's not really my, my style. I know I've been trying to get you into releasing a bit more horror, haven't I? Because I think horror is like it's such a big part of what I love. But also, I just think that the community out there is one of the most engaged and excitable. Um, and I think it'd be really like big seller and you're like well you know if horror comes my way and i like it i'll do it but i'm not just going to do it just for the money yeah for sure but then again you know with, with anything if it's a if it's a big seller yeah. then, then there are more companies in that are in, after yeah. it yeah sure. and if there's more companies that are after it, and if it's a big seller then it's more expensive so you know it's not it's not as easy as like handling titles that are obvious sellers because the costs involved in them are high and there is a risk uh, factor to it um so that makes perfect sense yeah mm. okay cool the next question actually now i've just realized is 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 kind of similar so i don't know if you've already answered this but i'll, I'll read it anyway it's from at cedar on twitter it says how does adam decide which films to release is it the ones he likes the most the ones he thinks will appeal to a western audience or the ones without horrendous red tape to acquire so i do feel like you've just answered that <laughs> Well, but talking about the last bit, the horrendous red tape, I mean, that is also a big thing. Uh, sometimes I'd like to work, it's easier to work with certain companies. So I might want to release one film that is like a bloody pain with red tape, but then it's just like something's just not worth the stress and I'll go to another company that have titles that maybe that I like, but not as much as that other film, but they're a lot easier to get out. So it's like, all right let's just get rid of this uh, red tape and make a nice, like, easy workflow. Um, so it's a balancing act, I guess. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, Mary Jones on Facebook. How do you discover the films you wish to distribute? Is it through connections, uh, watching new releases, or through critics' reviews? Most of the time I'm, I'm uh, watching films before they're being released, so it's not really critical reviews. Um uh, you know, a lot of films, I go to small cinemas in Japan that play uh, films that don't have distrib- distribution or like do one-off screenings or or late show screenings. Uh, I mean, that's how I find pieces, films like One Cut of the Dead. But then, you know, for the, the studio films, usually uh, companies like, let's say, Nikatsu or Toei or other Japanese companies will send me a list saying we've got these films in production and I'll just follow them. And when the screener is ready to watch then i'll watch it and, and decide um sometimes I'll, I'll wait if there's a film that uh uh i think is okay but i want to see how it does at international film festivals before i want to pick it up but uh, that's that's another thing I'll, I'll i'll wait and see if there's a uh, people a lot of clamoring for people to want it 
Yeah, nice. I know you're on the programming committee for a couple of festivals as well, right? So you get to see things that way too. Yeah, but in those cases, usually it's it's watching films that I wouldn't really want to watch either way. Mm. Um, so, for example, I, I work with some genre film festivals, so I watch a lot of horror film. I would never watch like Takashi Shimizu or Hideo Nakata because they're fucking shit. And, uh, <laughs> I've had enough. I just of watched. Those um, so, just as a side note, I just recently watched um, Shimizu's Village trilogy. Um, have you seen them all? Yeah, shit. Every one of them. Howling Village, um, yeah, Suicide yeah, well, Forest Village, Oxhead Village. Ages ago. And you hate them all? Yeah. Wow, okay. I mean, they're I not great. Right. They're not bad, though. <laughs> well, well, they're not bad. I mean, what sort of like... Uh, I don't really want to watch something that's just not bad. I mean, I'd like to I guess watch so. something... I mean, and actually, I watched the new Shimizu film that is, that is already the Immersion. It's fucking awful. Oh, really? Oh, man, because... Someone quoted that and said, I'm looking forward to this. Way. So, is that, so that's where it's like going to the VR tech, right? Yeah, it's fucking awful. Oh, man. I mean, well, I, I, don't, I don't know how Shimizu and Nakata continue making films. I mean, like, in all of, and I don't know how people are still interested in watching their films because, like, you know, I know why. Horror. It's because it's we love J horror so much, and they're the only people that are getting funding to make J horror. So people just keep <sighs> watching it. But like, it's if you gave that wife, man, like it's they made one film. They said I love you like twenty years ago, and ever since then they've been fucking beating you up, and uh, you continue to stick with them. It's but yeah, but like if you take one of their new films, split the budget into quarters, and then give quarter of the budget to four new filmmakers to make a J horror, you'd you'd get something cool out of that for sure. Um, <laughs> no one but, wants but to take you... the risk though. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's easy to to continue. It's like it's like, I mean, Nicolas Cage's career has turned around, or like Jean Claude's like, let's put Seagal in a film because he's got a name. But like, he's shit nowadays. But you know, there's still some people in like Turkey that will watch it because it's Seagal. So <laughs> lots of people making Seagal films. But like, it's the same Turkey. thing with like, like Hideo Nakata. It's like he's got this name from a long time ago, but uh, he hasn't made a good film in like 20 years, and I don't know how he continue. Well, I said that to, about Shimizu though. I said like you know the guy made some of the best J horror of all time. He also made Shock Labyrinth. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. 20, Twenty years ago, he hasn't made a good film since. Uh, you know, come on. <laughs> okay, mate. All right, <laughs> let's move on. Okay, so yeah. next is uh, one of my favourites on Twitter at Paragraph Films, known as Short Movie and TV Reviews. They say, what's the film that has eluded Third Window Films so far that you would love to release one day? Um, the Man Who Stole the Sun is one that I, I tried so hard to release. And I even had both the director and producer on my side. And uh, yet Toho, bloody Toho, who I've yelled at a lot uh, on this podcast and every, even everywhere else, uh, uh, they owed the rights and it's just been too hard to do so um yeah, that's one that I've my my dream, and also I'm sure the dream of many because it was never released anywhere outside of Japan because of bloody Toho. Yeah, it looks wild as well. I've seen sort of a few images from it. I've not seen the film, but it looks incredible. Ah, oh, it's amazing. Yeah, is that the main <laughs> one then? Yeah. Well, also, also, I mean, which is also connected to the man who stole the sun because the producer is the same. Um, is uh, Mishima, which is. Uh, the you know the the Paul oh, Schrader film. It's, yeah, it's just my favorite film of all time, and and I I always wanted to to put it out uh, on Blu-ray um, many years ago. I don't think it was if it's even been released yet in England. Uh, and I I was talking to like the the American rights holder, and it was just like 
it was a proper like LA speak. It's like, oh yeah, just let's let's get the lawyers involved and start like right. And it's like, what do we need lawyers? Like, we, why do we need lawyers to like do this stuff? And and I just got a bit over my head, so I pulled out of it. Uh, yeah, I mean that makes sense, especially with Schrader. <laughs> he kind of comes up like he like again gets vilified and makes utter shit, and then comes out with something incredible, and everyone just goes nuts for it. He's up up and down like a yo-yo. That guy. He's not that up and down. He's he's got such a uh, a collection of, of great works. Sometimes he's he's down, but most of the time he's pretty good. Come on, it's 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 it's, it's Paul Schrader for goodness sake. Blimey, really? I think if we went, I, w- I mean, we won't do it now. But if we went through his letterbox, there'd be probably an equal number of stinkers as there is greats. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, they also said, "What's something about the distribution side that you wish more people knew about?" As I mean, it's just, it's not as easy as like, uh, why don't you put this film out? Yeah, true. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> <coughs> oh, that made me. Maybe cough. <laughs> um, and one final part is: what's the most important aspect of a physical DVD or Blu-ray release? Is it the cover, the synopsis, the star power, the extras, the price, etc.? Well, it, it's whether the film is known or not. Yeah. If it's a popular film, then it'll sell well. Uh, if it's not a popular film, then yes, of course, you can make it uh, desirable with a nice addition and good artwork and, and all that. But um. You know, it's it's uh, yeah how how well how well known that the film is. Um, of course, yeah. You know, if you put a nice box set with with lots of extras, it makes it more desirable. But um, yeah. You know, there's a reason why Arrow put out like ten copies of ten versions of like Robocop because yeah. everybody knows. Yeah, or you get the definitive edition of Battle Royale, and then there's a definitive, definitive edition, and then it's like an ultimate definitive edition. You're like, for fuck's sake, stop it. Yeah. Uh, obviously, people are still buying all those editions. So, so, and there's more fans day week and week. So, uh, they're not going to stop it. That's how uh, the industry works, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, we have at Benedict Keeler. Um, which national cinema would you like to get into that you haven't already covered yet? You know, actually, I thinking back, I've actually pl- had films, if even if it's just once, play at the majority of independent cinemas in the uk you know prince charles and the bfi and uh, the film house edinburgh and uh, you know the cube cinema and all, all these cinemas all across the country i have played in uh even if it was just once um so for any that i haven't that i'd want to i was thinking like maybe like the odeon west end like you know like if i had have had a film that could play on that big screen you know, it's it's mainstream, but like I could say, wow, I've had a film play at the the Odeon West End. It's uh, not something that is easy, I guess. That would be awesome. Yeah. What film would it be then if you had if you could pick one to to play on that? I have an idea. Confessions. Really, I would do yeah. Stardust Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Stardust Brothers. I don't think it would look that good on the on the on the on, the, on the, such a big screen, to be honest. But it did play. It played at Prince Charles Cinema with a Michael Dotezica Q and A. So um, I think that was the perfect place for it, to be honest. Oh, it would look awesome on the big screen and that booming stereo system. Anyway, <laughs> it's fucking shit sound that when you when you is it? <laughs> yeah, that's that, the 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 sound of that the sound track of that film is in the songs that are played were remastered, but the other parts of the film is really bad audio if you listen to it again um like we couldn't get the, any decent audio so 
it's, it's, it sounds awful, uh, except for the songs, which sound good, but the rest of it sounds awful. I mean, uh, it's, it's not a good idea. All right, I, I changed my answer then. Funky Forest. <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah, there you go, there you go. Perfect. Okay, cool. Um, next, we have at Zozzy Wolfhammer. They put, what Asian film got you into Asian cinema? And this is for Ben and Adam. Are you first? Cool. Okay, I, I've said this on the podcast many times, but it was my film studies teacher when I was 15. Um, he was obsessed with Kitano, um, but he also loved Wong Kar Wai. So the two two of the first Asian films that I ever saw were Chunking Express and Hannah B. Um, and when you look at those two, you're like, it makes perfect sense, right? Why I fell in love. They're just they're just cornerstones of East Asian cinema, you know, Hong Kong and Japanese respectively. Um, and then I saw Battle Royale shortly after that, and that was it. That was that solidified it. But yeah, it was those three really. Uh, Stone Cold classics. Yeah. What about you? Um, my, mine was uh, Prison on Fire, which I saw when I was about 12 years old at a cinema in uh, Sarasota, Florida, where I was living. Oh, so good. And I saw that last year for the first time, if you can believe it. I don't remember. I have to see it again because I was 12 years old. And, uh, but but it, it, you know, that got me into Hong Kong cinema big time. Uh, I was into film quite hardcore beforehand, but uh, seeing that on the big screen, yeah, I was hardcore into Ringo Lam and Choi Hark and all that sort of stuff uh, after that. Did you say you were 12 when you saw it? Yeah, 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 12. Wow, my mum my, 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 my took me because I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I was too young to go to the by myself. Because, yeah, I mean, that was, it was released the same year as City on Fire, wasn't it? Um, which is the other Chow Yun-Fat one. Was it? Was City on Fire before? Because uh, maybe a year before. I think they both came out in 87. Um, but yeah, Tony Lung as well. I thought it was so, so good. But again, I was seeing it from like, you know, in my mid thirties, <laughs> mid to late thirties, I should say. Um, but yeah, what a great film. Mm-hmm. Ringo Lam in general was just an absolute immense. Yeah. It's, it's uh, John Woo, Maximum Risk is really good too. I have to go back to that one. Uh, John Woo, when I say Jean-Claude, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme, yeah. <laughs> okay. There's yeah. also a couple more bits um, here from... Zozzy Wolfhammer. Um, if you could bring out any box set of a director's work, who would it be? Uh, two. I've got two in mind. I couldn't just think of one because one is a director and one is a group of directors. But um, probably be Sogoishi because uh, he's just such got such such a great uh, catalogue of films that would be almost impossible to put together in a box. Um, so it's a yeah. dream that, that will probably never happen. And the other one is also a dream that will never happen, but it's the Directors' Company, which is a, a group of directors, which included Sogo Ishii, that uh, had a company from 1980 to 1992 producing films, uh, independent films, and Sogo Ishii was a part of it. And uh, I actually have a few films, two films from the Directors' Company out later this year, but uh, I shall keep that under wraps for the moment. Okay. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, so what, apart from me, too, here, it says, um, Ben, which set would you force Adam to release? Uh, I love this question. <laughs> There's so many. Like I say to you all the time, I'd love this, I'd love that. And you're like, yeah, we can't do that. I think if I could only do one, though, I would love, love, love if you revisited the Tartan Asian Extreme catalogue and see what could be remastered, revamped, and, and repackaged. 
um, because you used to work for Titan Asian Extreme, so you have a kind of connection to that anyway. But I just love those those uh, DVDs. I've got so many of them. I'm trying to kind of up my collection. Um, but yeah, that's my answer. I'd love to see see some of those old old genre classics brought brought up to date. And oddly enough, they still own the rights to a lot of them, even mm. though they're they're defunct. So I've tried to buy films like Vital, the Tsukamoto film in which they bought 20-year rights that, that are still in license, even though the company is, is essentially disappeared. So, um, yeah, it's it, they could, in essence, still re- re-release them because they own the rights. Amazing. So, but uh, but uh, they're, they're defunct now, right? So they don't, they don't own they're the def- rights. They just... But they're, they're defunct. It's not as simple as that. Uh, usually when companies like that go under, like somebody buys their catalog or the, takes over the rights or otherwise nobody, you need to, a lot of these, you need to contact somebody to get the rights off them. But if they're defunct, you can't really contact them. So there are many examples, like for example, with Nightmare Detective. Um, mm. uh, Nightmare Detective, the rights were owned by the Weinstein company, who they obviously not around anymore, but to to in order to get the rights off them you need to like either sue them or like get in touch with them but like there's nobody to sue or get in touch with so it's you just sort of wait for these licenses to expire gotcha um there's actually one more part of this question as well um adam did you ever think about branching out into releasing other countries films and i know we kind of covered this because you started out basically doing korean stuff right yeah, yeah, I did loads of Korean and a few Hong Kong films. And uh, yeah, I did uh, my share. And uh, I don't know, I mean, whether to go back or not. Um, I don't know, because I live in Japan now. It's easier to release Japanese films and because I speak Japanese. It helps me do a lot of the legwork, uh, which I'd have to pay somebody to do if it was other countries. So um, maybe that's one of the reasons why. Yeah. I mean, that's another good reason to go back to Titan Asian Extreme, though, because it kind of covers... The, the length and breadth of East Asia, doesn't it? Yeah, all, all through across the board. Yeah, cool. Okay. Uh, onwards, we have at Torpa underscore music. In fact, I've just, this is one you just answered. If you could release a complete film soft box set for any director, who would it be? Is that Sogoishi again? Yeah, well, yeah, Sogoishi. Yeah. I mean, it would be a very big box set, but I would love to see uh, an ultimate collection of Takashi Miike. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that that is ever possible. But uh, 117 yeah, films or something, isn't it, at the moment? You know the thing. You know sometimes uh, you get these pirates on. Um, if, I mean, I I found one on eBay recently. It was somebody was selling the complete Takashi Gitano Blu-ray box set. Obviously pirated, but but somebody put a lot of effort into putting out 70 films on beat on uh, burned Blu-rays, um, and wow. even making new artwork and all that. Uh, so. You know, sometimes you find those like pirated or used to find them a lot more, like especially uh, in Hong Kong, like these massive box sets of of uh, films that have all would could never really be released legally in a box set otherwise. <laughs> I have to look that up. Although I think I own most of them anyway, except for the the crap later ones. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, my buddy Petros came in next. So this is a. Uh, the caged in podcast at caged in pod um if you don't listen to that podcast you really should it's amazing anyway uh the question is what is a dream title you'd both love to see released on third window films so you've already mentioned that right the man who stole the sun 
Yeah. And what about it's you? It's like your ultimate. Um, it's it's a Sogoishi film, and you've you've explained to me why it can never happen, but I will never stop dreaming about it. And it's uh, Angel Dust. Um, it's yeah. just I just I can't under I can't understate how much it blew me away. It's just the aesthetic and the structure and the pacing and just everything about it. The the content I was just like this is so much my jam. It was like it was a film just made just for me. I just love it. You know, actually, I was re- trying to figure it out again recently with Soguishi about getting the rights of this. And um, I think one of the reasons why it's had so many problems is that apparently an American company had like tried to buy the remake rights to it. Right. And I can't think of how it would be remade in America, but um, I think that's sort of complicated. The Yeah, no. That's your rights. Uh but that would be the same as like all of the J-horror American remakes where it's like, okay, you've got the basic story, but you just lose the atmosphere and, oh, no, I can't see it being, mm. that's not a good idea. No. Um, and then in true uh, caged-in style, he puts, which East Asian director would you like to see Nicolas Cage work with next? Now, this is interesting because I actually guested on his podcast talking about Prisoners of the Ghostland. Um <laughs> And that, this was before the allegations and kind of ranted and raved about how much I, was, I love Sono and his work. Um, Did you like yeah. that film? I, I, I didn't like it. It's definitely mid-tier Sono. It's not exceptional. But yeah, I, th- I thought there's a lot to like about it. You know, Nicolas Cage in a kind of Django Western but set in Japan. I thought, yeah, it was cool. It was fun. Um. I know for a fact that I keep, I keep bringing this guy up, but I think you and I are in agreement on this one, right? With Nick Cage, you need you need a director that's a bit unhinged and likes to take risks. Um, and if it's not Sono, it's got to be Takashi Miike, right? Yes. Uh, no, I couldn't think of anybody else that, that we would work. I mean, Sono and Miike, those are the ones for Nicolas Cage for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know that Cage met his you know new bride, Um on the set of Prisoners of the Ghostland. So he's probably got some good memories, but I don't know. I think there was a lot of shit that happened on that set, right? Um, Sono nearly died, had his heart attack. Um, There's a lot of crazy stuff happened. The the heart attack was before it, but that was what delayed the the film uh, and and made it because they were initially supposed to shoot it in America and they had to shoot it in in Japan because of um, his... Oh, because uh, of the heart attack. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I'm sure Cage isn't like chomping at the bit to jump on another Japanese production now. <laughs> I mean, him him, and before the allegations happened, him and Sono were in talks uh, about doing another film. Uh, and it was pretty, it moved on quite quickly, actually. Um, but uh, yeah, the allegations put an end to that. So nice. it has to be Mike then. Um, a Touch of Film, At A Touch of Film says, is there a dream title Adam wished he could release but can't? Man who stole the sun again, I guess. Yeah. Um, at Andy8371 underscore MMA <laughs> puts, um, what's one Hong Kong action film you would like to see put out or like to put out yourself? Sorry. Um, I I had tried to pick up this title many years ago. It's not really a full-on action film, but You Shoot, I Shoot by Pang Ho Chung. Um, I love that film and I love the concept of it. And uh, I had tried to pick it up um maybe you know back in way back in the days and uh 
it was a bit expensive so i stopped but um yeah i love i love that film and uh i don't think it's really it, it achieved the success that it that it, it should have or it could have you know i love pang ho chung but i actually haven't seen that film yeah, it's it's one of his earlier ones. It's a bit because uh, it's never been put out on Blu-ray, I think. So it's a bit uh, more. It's a bit harder to to access. I'll have a look for it. I mean, one of the things I'm trying to do this year. So, I'd say fifty percent of my viewing last year was Japanese, and then it like dropped off massively for like Korean and Indonesian and um, uh, you know Hong Kong, China, all of that. So this year, what I'm trying to do is do you know a Hong Kong film. Uh, a Korean film, a Japanese film, and just kind of rotate it like that to keep it all level. So I'll... Um, you have to, I'll you have to come to my house someday because uh, I've got all, all those DVDs of all those Hong Kong Korean films from uh, when I was buying DVDs uh, 20, 20 years ago, so VCDs and all that. So all these are there. I love that. Should you mean the place in London or the place in Japan? In in London. In Japan, my place is too small to put any DVDs, but um, <laughs> in, in London, I've got a... Uh, shed with with everything there nice we were talking about this slightly before the show and i was saying like i think there's so much hong kong action i love but most of it's been put out already um i think one of the things that we would be awesome to do is get the early stephen chow stuff out um mm. you know like the king of comedy and the god of cookery and and those because i've recently just gone back to them and they're just fantastic they're so funny and so well made and yeah, yeah great just brilliant films. Cool. Okay. Then we have my namesake. The other East Asian Ben on Twitter is at Brazi underscore Benjamin. Um, given the passing of the great Shinji Aoyama sorry, last year, and this being Third Window Films' year of Asano, has Adam ever considered trying to release Aoyama's loose Kitakyushu trilogy? That being Helpless, Eureka, and Sad Vacation. They seem like movies Adam would like, and they deserve a quality release. Well, Eureka has been uh, remastered recently and is playing in Japanese cinemas, so, or has been, and uh, that would be the most uh, easily accessible in that respect. But it's very long running time, and the fact that the BBC have once BBFC have once again up their prices make it just impossible. Like it's cost mo- over two thousand pounds just to get a BBFC t- BBFC certification for that. I mean, over two thousand just to get a, a fifteen bloody or whatever rating it, it may be. So. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, that's obviously on top of all the other costs that are and the rights which are probably expensive too so um that's just not not possible uh, i mean yeah it's too long of a film um sad vacation in theory is not that hard to to release i work quite well with the producers of the film um but i, I think just releasing like the third part of a trilogy even if it's not a loose if it's not a proper trilogy uh People would just say, where's Eureka and where's Helpless? And uh, those two aren't as easy as to do. So, uh, yeah, it's it's not really on the front. But I did try to release some... I tried to pick up, like, Swallowtail Butterfly. Um, Oof, I love that film. Not, yeah, but, like, the, the, they were asking crazy money for it. Uh, the bloody Japanese, like, they were saying, this is a classic of Shinji Aoyama. And I'm like, well, it's such a classic. Like, why has it never been released anywhere outside of Japan? You know, yeah. if you are, keep on asking like crazy money for price for for films, then like it's never going to get released. And then like if it's never going to released, it's never going to become people. The people who know about it are going to be less and less, and it's not going to be more valuable over time. It's going to be less valuable. So just drop the price and uh, and let somebody handle it and keep the the name going. But uh, that's not how Japanese think. Yeah, 
Oh, damn. Okay. Well, it's another pipe dream. Yes. Okay, next we have at TSV Petri. said, uh, film-related question, is there any chance to get Kazuhiko Hasegawa's box set? Well, that's the man who stole the sun. And, uh, well, he's only made two films, so um, oh, really? you know, it's not really a box set. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's it's Toho, so it's... Uh, uh, it's I forgot uh, the other one. It's um I've got oh, actually it's the, his second one. I think it's cruel something or another cruel story. I I forgot the name. Uh, but that's uh, available on Blu-ray in Japan. Maybe even with English subtitles or something. Uh, but um yeah, it's it's not uh, easy. Okay. Um. Oh, there's two more questions. Okay, for Adam, how fluent are you in Japanese? Did you learn the language after moving to Japan, or did you study beforehand? Yeah, I'm quite fluent. Um, you know, fluent enough to subtitle all the the bonus features, as well as even sometimes some full films. So decent, uh, decent. I think um, I learned a little bit before when I was asked to go to Japan for Land of Hope from Shion Sono. I thought I better learn some Japanese quickly, and I I, I got a private teacher to teach me like one hour a week and uh, did like a crash course for about uh, a year. And then I came to Japan and uh, just like uh, met loads of people and spoke with them and, and my language got better and better. So I didn't properly go to school or even do any proper studying, but um, I managed to pick it up on the way. Nice. Yeah, I'd love to learn Japanese. I keep stop starting. So I started on Duolingo and then it just became so repetitive. You know, there's only so many ways you can count to 10 and then, you know, say hello. Um so I gave up on that. And then my partner got me a kind of like zero to Japanese book for my birthday last year, um, which I haven't yeah, you, picked up since. <laughs> those books, I mean, like if you immediately speak, use it, then the, then that, that's one thing. But like learning things, unless you put it immediately into practice, is never going to really get stuck in your head. So I would just um, have me do like language exchanges a lot when I was in England, just meet like like people, Japanese people, and, and help them with English, and they help me with their Japanese. And then I just got, I had loads of friends as well. And, uh, you know, if you practice what you learn very quickly, then it goes in your head. So that's what nice. you got to do. You need Japanese people around you. That's good advice. Okay, there's one for me as well. He goes, You say that you watch a lot of physical media. Where do you get copies of all those films? Um, I don't think I say a lot. I watch a lot of physical media. Um, I do. I'm a bit of a collector at heart, so um, I do buy them. You know, just like everyone else. Um, I am lucky enough to get sent some sometimes. Uh, obviously, Adam's very generous with <laughs> with his collection. Um, but yeah, you know, mostly like if it's anything from like Arrow or eighty eight films or anything like that, I just buy it like everyone else. Um, mm. A lot of what I watch is through screeners, you know, um, getting sent stuff from various connections I've made over the years. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Another cinematic uh, East Asian cinema, Ben, here. Um, the self, self-named self Trash King, Ben Jones. He's uh, I never know how to pronounce this, but it's at <laughs> C-Y-M-R-E-I-G Samurai. Uh, Will, I, I can't do it either. Yeah, no idea. Okay, there's a few here, but I'm going to give every one because I love this guy. Number one, has there ever been a temptation to run a sub-label or a line under the TWF banner, similar to what Terracotta did with Terracotta and their classic Kung Fu collection? 
Um, mm. I love this question because I think it's a really valid one. Yeah, it's a valid question, but I've never really thought about it, and uh, I'm not really tempted to to do it, to be honest. Uh, but it's it's a it's a good idea. <laughs> I think yeah, third window after dark or something would be so good. Just get some horror out. Um, <laughs> You need to have a lot of titles to, to do those sub-labels and properly stick with it. And if you're, you know, putting a lot of work into each title by itself, it's a lot harder because, you know, you need, if you're doing a collection, you at least need to have like five, six films a year within that collection. But then what about the other f- films and what about the other part of the label? And, you know, it's it, it's it's not as, as if it's no. like a big company, you know, and you, you, you're delegating and loads, loads of people are, are working on, you can move to the next project while other people work on the other one, then you can do that. But uh, I don't know if it's it's as easy the way that I do it. I'll take this on and we'll, <laughs> do, what, we'll do one a quarter for a year. <laughs> and yeah, it will, it will go gangbusters, I promise. <laughs> um, okay. Also, what are the chances of the pink film collections getting a re-release? Yeah, I know, I know. I need to do that at some point. But the the, the problem with that is the the discs were I, they were I I acquired those films to help out Rapid Eye movies, and the discs were made in Germany. So it's really hard to to like order the discs themselves and then like couple them with the boxes and all that. And uh, then it, it's complicated. Uh, it's not that complicated, but it's complicated enough for me to keep on putting it off till a later date. So um, maybe next year. Uh, when when they're really out of print uh, and 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 there's enough i you know i always when i put out like with box sets i always am wary like people always said well why don't you put out a katano box set and i said well what, what about all the people that have already bought those discs yeah. singularly and I, I feel like if i were to put it out they're gonna say well why do i why did i buy the, the single disc or something and you're gonna force me to buy the box set and people always bring those questions up so it's with the pink films, like if I put it out, then saying, what if somebody bought the first and the third one, but he didn't buy the second one? It's like, well, the only way I can see the second disc is now I have to buy all three discs again. You know, uh, uh, it, it sort of <laughs> makes me stressed. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Well, clearly people do want to see one, so it's probably worth doing. But yeah, I totally get your point. I'll wait till um, the, the, the next year, I think. Yeah, okay. He also says, as alluded to in a previous show, how feasible is a streaming service for the type of title Third Window Films would release? Not for me, because I'm a bit, because uh, I'm quite busy, but uh, maybe working with Terracotta would be something, uh, I think, uh, a lot easier, where they set up the site and, and do it, and they bring their titles as well, and I just uh, add in mine, as well as some titles that are just for VOD. Um, that's something uh, which is more more of a chance. Nice, Okay. He's got loads of questions here. And this one I didn't even know actually had happened. But he said, what was the outcome of the one cut of the dead appearing on Prime Video just prior to your physical release? Was an explanation ever given? No, an explanation was not given, but I found out that somebody had just uploaded it. And because of that, Amazon actually changed all their rules and made it very hard for people to upload movies and, and actually made it so... Only some people can upload to Prime Video directors in the free, uh, the subscription-based version. Like even I myself, who am a distributor with many titles on the net, cannot upload a film to Prime anymore. So it's sort of uh, yes, it was incredibly stressful at the time, and it has sort of screwed things up since uh, in an indirect sort of way. 
Fair enough. Okay, cool. And the last one is actually for me, and it's what has been your favorite third window films released to date? Um, It's a tough one because I love all of the uh, Takeshi Kitano films and I wouldn't want any of them to go away. Um, Also, the one that's about to come out very soon is probably going to be my favorite, which is the Electric Dragon. But as of this recording, the one film that changed my life that I want to continue to watch every year is Funky Forest. It just Ah. is. It just is. I'm so glad you released that film. Um, And I just think it's the perfect third window films release. It's everything that you encompass, you know, it's like quirky. It's quintessentially Japanese. It's underseen, um, but it's also very popular and cult, you know. Um, I just think it it epitomizes everything about you that's awesome. Well, I hope to have Katsui Tuishi in London and uh, and maybe some other UK venues in July, so you will be able to meet him yourself. And tell oh, him. mate, and I will die a happy man. <laughs> awesome. Okay, coming up next, we're, we're down to the last 10 now, so final <laughs> stretch. Quite a lot. Uh, yeah, we'll get through them, don't worry. Um, at Politic1983 on Twitter. Uh, with now 15 plus years in the game, to what extent does Adam and At Third Window have a reputation in Japan? Do studios want to work with Third Window and do previous releases and how good some of them have been have any impact on Third Window getting deals? Yeah, I think uh, mainly over the last few years has my reputation gotten bigger because of the success of One Cut of the Dead and Beyond the Infra Two Minutes, in which I wasn't just a distributor, but actually found those films and handled the worldwide sales of them. And since then, I think a lot of people have wanted me to sell their films internationally, as well as uh, distribution. Um, Though... I've never really had that many massive, massive sellers. Like, uh, for example, Tartan Films were releasing films like Battle Royale and Audition that were selling, you know, hundreds of thousands at a time when the market was a lot bigger. And I've not really had some of those huge titles that would make me stand out to Japanese studios um, as being a distributor who handles the big films and pays the big money. Yeah. So, in, in fact, actually, maybe the opposite. I've pissed off a lot of studios by yelling at them. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I so, think that's fair. So, so from what I've seen on the, the, the directors that I speak to on Twitter, they all love you and what you do and respect you and, and love your library. So I think the filmmakers and the artists themselves really love you. And then the money people and the, the labels, they're like, stay fucking clear. This guy's a disruptor, you know? Yeah, I think and I, I probably need to learn how to bite my tongue because um, many companies whose films that I would like to release and would pay to release don't respond to my emails anymore because I've yelled <laughs> at them in the past. <laughs> I, I was actually in, in Los Angeles recently, uh, just coincidentally at a time that was the American film market. I was there to visit my my sister and I was sitting outside at a restaurant and because it was the American film market there were lots of Japanese sellers and, and buyers and such and some people walked by and they were from Toho and they they 
spoke to me and I yelled at them like like proper in the middle of the street like <laughs> because I I had only I knew one of them from a long time ago but I I didn't know the other two people that were there working with him and he introduced me to them and I was like you fucking toho it's your fucking fault that like that like all these films can't be released you fucking assholes <laughs> <laughs> like these people that, that have, I've never I've never met this was an introduction I've never met them before and I don't think if I were to ever want to work with them again, I think they'd never reply to my email. So um, I really need to, uh, yes, uh, shut up a bit. That is so good. <laughs> I, I remember early on you saying to me um, that you ended up in the paper once for saying something, and it was actually really bad. You got some really bad press, and it was for quite a while. I think oh, it might yeah, have it was... been something to do with... Um, was, was that around the time of... Um... It, it was Higuchi with... Um, oh, Higuchi, uh, yeah. Yeah, B- Attack on Titan. Yes. And I, yeah, I slagged that off big time and I, it became like the Yahoo News top top uh, ranking for like uh, a few weeks, actually. And and recently, with my work of... Um, and one of the film festivals I work with, they said, can you bring Shinji Higuchi to our festival? <laughs> I was like, I don't think I can because... I, a few years ago, I slagged off his film big time, and it was like Yahoo News uh, top ten. So, um, I think that I, I do really need to, to shut up, uh, but I, I can't stop myself. I mean, he made my favorite film of last year, so you know. Yeah, well, well, he made a lot of shit films as well. <laughs> <laughs> just, just like Paul Schrader, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't <laughs> because Paul Schrader made a lot of brilliant, brilliant films, and and a lot of them. So even if you made a few shit ones, you you can't compare. Please don't. I'm just busting your balls. <laughs> I love how much you just got to debate. Then though. I've found your new uh, kryptonite. It's Paul Schrader. <laughs> I love that. I don't cool. This next question is fucking brilliant. When I saw it, I was like, "Fair play." It's from at Bogart Lost, and it is, what is the question that Adam would really like to be asked at a Q&A, but never is? And then he prefaces it or posts that with a, what is the answer? <laughs> oh, and you know, I've been thinking about this. Yeah. I, can't, I honestly can't think of something. Really? I honestly, yeah, and, I, and I'm, I feel like um, I feel embarrassed uh, that I... I can't give a, a proper answer, but I just really can't think of. Well, I guess you I just got to think about what you would love to talk about. So something that you would actually genuinely like to talk about on about the industry. I mean, I always like to. I mean, there's a there's a, a reason to my uh, madness of slagging off companies, and I think it's important that people know why a lot of Japanese films aren't released uh, and maybe that's a but 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 I have talked about that so much that I feel like I've been asked that question many many times and also you know I do drag on uh talking rubbish for a long time and if I was at a Q&A and somebody asked me this question we'd be here all week long so um uh, yeah <laughs> I I think uh yeah that that's talking about why Japanese films can't be released in detail uh, for a long time is something that I, I wish people would hear. I wish more people would hear and therefore understand. And I wish more Japanese people would hear it, to be honest, uh, so that they make an effort to change the, the, the system here. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Okay. Um, next, we have at Comda Hagens. Um, most obvious question, will Adam ever produce another movie? Because so far, his productions were all really great. Brackets, except Land of Hope. But that doesn't count. <laughs> the loving oh, gets yeah. a little bigger at the end. But um, 
I yeah, I completely agree with this. I think your productions are all fantastic, but I also know how much they absolutely ruin you every single time. So I think yeah. I'm out of this. <laughs> I mean, I have I always like to produce films of directors, uh, young or, or relatively unknown directors that I've lived a previous film of theirs. And I, and what I usually do is I release that film because I love it and that I want to help them make a next film. But recently there haven't been many directors that I've really loved their, their film and wanted to produce another. And I'm talking about unknown directors uh, and independent directors. But there is one recently that I have been thinking a, a lot of and have been talking a little bit about the director uh, about maybe working together for for an next film because also I wanted to take time off uh, for my kid uh, to be born and until he went to uh, preschool or, or kindergarten because otherwise I wouldn't be able to make the time and, and he's going to kindergarten later this year so maybe I will have the time to to do those things so so there is it maybe something will happen uh, next year or the end of this year so um. Uh, wow, it's a, bit it's a bit vague, but um, I mean, uh, I'm not gonna lie, that is so much more positive than I was expecting. I thought you'd be <laughs> like, nah, I'm fucking done, <laughs> you know. But I guess it's like, it's one of those things when when you're in it, when you're in the shit, it feels like the worst thing possible. But then in retrospect, you were like, I kind of enjoyed the thrill of it, and the, you know, there must be so much positive you get from it especially being a film fan for so long to be on the production side of it and see them getting made must be a thrill well it's also the risk reward i mean you put a lot uh, especially i put a lot of time into something that i can have my name on and say these three years of my life uh, and all the effort and time i put into has given this i mean if it's if it's something you're distributing it's, it's something that's already made and, and obviously you can turn something unknown into something uh popular through distribution and get the word out but uh the whole process of uh making something from scratch and then having to to put it out there yourself um you know if it turns out well i mean i think it's really really rewarding and yeah. uh, uh i mean of course i've had some very very stressful situations but they usually like land of hope and all that have been in in uh studio even if they're small studio but studio films so if it's independent uh then i i do uh get more out of it yeah, nice. Well, yeah, I'm so excited for that. We'll watch this space. Um, next, at Pratt360, I notice Adam has a Save Our Cinemas t-shirt that were made to help support mini theatres in Japan during the pandemic. This is so I put up a tweet asking for questions, and I think I took a screenshot of you wearing a uh, Save Our Cinemas t-shirt. Um, they say, I've got the same one. Does he have any favourite theatres in Japan? Yeah, I mean, I love the, the Japanese uh, cinemas, the mini, mini theatres, because they're all independent, uh, as opposed to many of the UK cinemas that seem independent, but are usually uh, uh, owned by larger chains or, or picture houses or this and that. So uh, I've always loved uh, Japanese cinemas. Um, some that I really like, uh, there's one in, in my wife's hometown of, of Akita, which is the very north uh, of Japan. There's a cinema that is like, really really great story to be behind it called uh, it's a cinema called onariza and it's it's akita is is very it's it's about four hours on the bullet train from from tokyo so it's very far away and hard to get to and this is cinema is two hours further away on a train from akita main station and it's the middle of nowhere and basically this this cinema the story behind it is that a, a guy just a guy who was wanted to move to the this this to the the the, the countryside somewhere 
got in touch with a real estate agent and said, I need, I'm looking for a big uh, house or a, a warehouse or something like that, that I can work and, and run a company from. And this real estate agent said, I've got this, this big building that has been left there for years. Like, why don't you have a look at it? And they went and had a look at it. And what it was is it was, it was a, inside there was a cinema. And it was a cinema that had shut in the 1970s and left as is. Right. Like, so everything in the cinema was was just the same. Like, all the handwritten notes of all how, what film played today, how many customers attended. Like, uh, you know, still the, the, the film reels of all these, like, films from the 70s, still the posters from, from that time, yeah. all in the cinema. <laughs> like, they were like, what the hell is this? Like... And in the back of the cinema was like this house that was like behind the screen. Sort of a <laughs> so so the, this guy's like, well, I don't know what to do like with the cinema. You know, I've got to live in the back there, but like, what can I do the cinema? And, and it was because it was a film projector. They said, also, we need somebody who can run the cinema that knows how to run a film projector. And coincidentally, at the same time in Tokyo, there was a, a pink cinema in, in a Shim, Shim, Shimbashi. And it was a pink cinema that was underneath the railroad tracks that closed. And the day that it closed, this guy who found this cinema in Akita called up the projectionist from that cinema in Tokyo, the, of the cinema that closed that day, and said, like, do you want to come to the Akita in the middle of nowhere and run a cinema? Right. And this, this projectionist was like, without thinking, was like, yeah, okay. So he just, like, just packed up and, like, moved to Akita and, like, ran this, this cinema. And he runs the cinema completely by himself. Like he uh, he he serves the popcorn. He, he goes upstairs and he turns on the projector. And then he comes downstairs and tears the tickets. And it's like this just crazy, crazy cinema there uh, in the There's middle. There's a of film nowhere. in there somewhere, right? Like there is, there is. Uh, I mean, I, I I told when I went there and I told Uchida Eiji about it, and he went afterwards uh, to go and see that cinema, and, and he was thinking about making a film from it. But yeah, it's it's a fantastic story, and there's even a, a rabbit that lives in the cinema. <laughs> amazing mm, that's that's oh, yeah. uh one one classic cinema yes i hope when you um when i come over to japan you'll be able to show me some of these because i know you talk about the one in shinjuku as well right that's one of your favorites yeah i mean uh, uh cinema shinjuku is um i love it because i love the staff that work there every time there's a film they like decorate the whole entire lobby they will like wear strange clothes from the film and like make these strange like videos and and it's it's like really really good i mean a lot of cinemas in, in japan these mini theaters have a lot of love for the films and they really put a lot of effort into like promoting each film which is something that I, I never saw in England. Like in England, the, the cinema owners, and they don't do anything. Uh, it's just they leave it up to the distributor. But in Japan, a lot of the cinema staff at all these cinemas are really, really put so much in. I mean, the Akita one is, is too far away for you. It's too far away for anybody, I think. Uh, yeah. The, sure. But um, yeah, in Tokyo, there's, there's uh, really loads of great cinemas. So we shall uh, go exploring. Nice. Okay. Uh, next, we've got Jonathan Root, um, former guest on the show, at JL Root. If Adam could make one part of the process of distributing films on DVD and Blu-ray cheaper, which would it be? Well, the most expensive thing is BBFC. So yeah, but that 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 of something I'm in in no control of. Um, I mean, right now, other than that, the most expensive process is the authoring of the um the titles because that's something that I subcontract to a, a great guy called Andrew Kirkham, who uh, I've been working with for many years. But um, I mean, in theory, maybe if if I were to get a top computer and learn it, I could probably do those things. But like, uh, you know, I've worked with him for so long and he's always 
been really really good with me so um i wouldn't want to bring that make it cheaper or bring it anywhere else uh because he depends on me as i him so um i don't i don't know to be honest i mean i'd love to make it all cheaper but i i i can't okay um at andre m salguero says adam and ben what's your favorite japanese director um I think After I've said, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's it's Takeshi and Takashi. Takeshi <laughs> Kitano, Takashi Miike. Those are the two that, yeah, I just, I can't, I can't fault them really. They've made a couple of shit films, but mostly they're just brilliant. Yeah, it's uh, classics there. I mean, obviously Kitano is in mine as well, uh, but I can't think, I can't just put one. So I've just uh, thought of five uh, and it's Kitano, <laughs> Tsukamoto, Suzuki, Hasebe and Masamura, like, uh, a bit of everyone from every generation. Sukamoto is definitely up there. Yeah. yeah he's, 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 he's never made a bad film. He's made some films that aren't as good as the others, but but it's pretty much like a, a 8 out of 10 in every time. Yeah. I'm going to keep going through now because I know we're getting on a bit and it's probably like silly o'clock where you are. <laughs> um, at Badman Tunnage says, when one of your films gets put on TV... Does that tend to lead to an increase in sales for it, or do people just watch it on their channels VOD instead? Yeah, I mean, uh, TV is just a completely different audience. Um, you know, those are people that normally would never watch an Asian film, or, or normally would never watch a Nice film, or a, you know, it's, it's just such a completely different world. And every film that I've had on TV has just made, I mean, increase the sales. So it's it's a it's a it's great to have it on TV because obviously the TV stations pay you a lot of money for it. And then the title becomes more popular and it increases uh, sales. So it's, uh, if you can get it on TV, then it's, it's, it's heaven. And um, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond the infinite two minutes is on all four now, or I think it's, it's, it was until a few days ago. Um, But and that's obviously increased the uh, titles reach tenfold. Nice. Um, they also did the same question. What's the white whale film that you want to put out, but haven't managed yet. So <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's okay. a, yeah. Yeah. At Handsome Beardo says, what's a movie that everyone loved, but you guys didn't get the hype for? I think because I'm from the golden generation, or is it golden generation, but uh, of that Hong Kong cinema days and also, you know, early Korean cinema and then, you know, J-Horror and all those, all those, great generations of cinema obviously there was many more before them but um when i was brought up uh, i was really that was my gold standard and a lot of the films i watch nowadays like like this this is nothing like and especially action films like films like baby assassins like that's one that just everyone's gone mad about and i saw it way i saw it a long time ago before it got its uh its premiere anywhere and uh, i was like well i could see that people would like this but um like if anybody's from that generation of watching like great Hong Kong cinema or great action cinema, like you, you, you can't think this is any good. I mean, you can well, think that they, they've tried hard and that it, but it's just too obviously quirky. Like it's just like, it's trying too hard to be like cool. And I hate films that, that are like that. And you get a lot of that uh, nowadays. I really liked the mumblecore aspect of it. Like the action was cool and it was kind of like this release when it, when it all broke out, but it was, it was the, 
it was the quieter, more funny moments that I enjoyed the most. But, yeah. but even those, I think they're too obvious. I think a lot of the like it's the jokes are too obvious and the mumble core and all, it's just like really obvious. Um, I don't, uh, but I can see. I I mean I could see why it was popular and I was even thinking, well, I'm sure if I release that it'll be very popular. But I I can't really get behind it. Uh, yeah, um, no, yeah, that's fair. I think I I was thinking about this answer as well, and I was like, this is so hard for me because I like everything. You know that I I'm just I think I'm known for my yeah my positivity. That's kind of like my USP. Um, I was looking through my letterbox and I ranked it from least uh, or the lowest ratings first, um, and the first one that came up was Sadako 3D. Um, Nobody likes that exactly yeah so it's not like everyone loved it and i didn't get the hype like that's just a piece of shit (laughs) um i think probably the most popular film that i didn't enjoy was uh bruce lee's game of death where it was kind of it was kind of um edited together after after he died and had all this weird footage put in i just hated it i thought wow this is awful it's almost like sacrilegious that they did this um, but I don't think it's is that well 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 loved either. I mean, maybe no, I, probably I, not. Yeah, I I can't think of the last film that everyone loved and I hated, to be honest, or I, at least the last East Asian film. I I, I tend to see the good in in most. Yeah, very very positive person. Okay, at Slipstreamery, Adam said on a podcast some time ago that unlike South Korea, nothing much was happening in Japan. No wildness, no threat, and this was negatively impacting its movies. With face masks, I find Japan more aloof than ever now. Does Adam see anything changing? Yeah, the face mask thing um, is really uh, a negative point. Um, you know, I understand. I don't really want to get into the face mask uh, uh, with or without uh, such a question because a lot of people uh, have very strong ideas uh, with or without. But uh, Japan is a bit, uh, <laughs> a bit too much, to be honest. Um, it, you know... People are wearing face masks, even when the government's more than half a year ago said you don't need to wear face masks outside. Everybody's wearing them all the time. Uh, when they're driving a car by themselves is is so common. I mean, you don't really. And the thing is, is that those people will go into a restaurant and and take their face masks off in a whole room full of people without face masks and then go back outside and walk alone by themselves put their face mask on and they go in their car by themselves and put their face mask on like it's a, <laughs> it's just it's just it's just silly but it's really become a problem here uh, uh because people don't know what it's like a, a game of uh of it's like a mexican standoff like everybody has to do it at the same time or nobody will do it because the way the japanese are very herd herd mentality so um like people are becoming a lot more uh, disconnected, yeah. especially kids. Like, you know, there are kids like in, in, in university that like, the, you know, they're never seeing girls' faces and they're dating girls that they've yet to see their faces until like like the fifth date or something like that. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, I guess you could say that people's personalities are maybe becoming better because, <laughs> because that's what they're, they're not. There's a show not, on Netflix called Love is Blind that's basically that, isn't it? Where they just talk through a wall for like a week or two and then fall in love. Maybe that, that is actually happening in real life, but I, I don't think so. Um, but it's, it's, it's really bad because, I mean, especially I went to America recently and um, nobody obviously wore masks there. Uh, and I came back and it was like, like, I, 
more than before like i've really have uh, finding it hard to like um know who i'm talking to yeah like uh honestly like i'll meet a few people a few times and i'm just like i just don't know who you are Uh, and um i think that is going to be a big problem for japanese because if they they can continue this for longer and longer people will become a bit more socially disconnected and um you know in that respect uh people will become less energetic and and uh I think it, it's a big thing, honestly. I really think that that's going to hurt Japanese um, films uh, and creativity is going to go down. So I don't really see much uh, changing, to be honest, um, in terms of getting more energy. That's that's the thing I always talk about is like passion and energy. And uh, a lot of younger people nowadays seem to have less and less of that in Japan. I'm completely blanking on the title now and it's really annoying me, but it was in my top 10 of last year, the one where it shows their relationship on his birthday every year from the previous... Ah, ju- Just Remembering with... Uh, just Shady. Remembering, thank yeah. you. And when that film started and everyone was wearing masks, I was like, oh, fuck, this film is like a mask film. And then it went, it went back like a year and everyone was fine again. I was like, oh, thank God. But yeah, it was really, really weird for a while. It's like, because it, yeah, you can't, you can't emote really through a mask yeah i mean it's a complicated subject but then again like japan for the last few months has had like the worst covid outbreak in the world and non-stop i mean it's been like millions a week and yet every single person in japan is wearing a mask so it's like well can they really yeah i mean obviously you know the th- the funny thing is is that people always look to the Japanese uh, for being good about masks, but the people in the West has to use proper masks, like um, yeah. the like the what is it the I ninety five or something like that, um, whatever it is. But um, the proper masks, and in Japan they they don't. Uh, so it's not really about COVID as much as like just because everybody's doing it. So uh, it's yeah, it's a, but but yeah, like I said, it's it's not really something to talk about on a film podcast. Yeah, for sure. Okay. We're down to the last two, mate, so it's almost bedtime. Yes. At Japanese Movie Co., does Adam plan to release any more soundtracks? I'm still after the Stardust Brothers OST on CD. I know it's on vinyl brackets. And why was the CD only included in a few releases of the Blu-ray and not all of them? It's so hard to get the Blu-ray plus CD version now. Well, not a few. I mean, there was a thousand yeah. limited edition. I mean, uh, and it did take a long time to sell out. So unfortunately, yeah. you, you've just missed it. But uh, it did take a long time to sell out. And, uh, you know, CDs and music is, can be complicated. Uh, it's an extra license. And um, usually the people that own the rights are not the people that are handling the film rights. So um, it's not that easy to do. Um, I mean, Stardust Brothers was a very lucky situation where I was working so close with, 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 with Tezuka. But in most situations, like it's not that easy. Uh, so, um, and and also, you know, I I wonder how many people actually even have CD players nowadays. I think more people have record players. But um, the Stardust Brothers record that I put a lot of money and time into putting out is still got loads of copies in the warehouse. So, you know, it's it's I don't really I th- I think when it comes under if it's like a like house, you know, or some super popular worldwide title, then you can put it out on, on vinyl or on CD. But otherwise, uh. I don't really think that, that that many people are interested in like a minor Japanese film yeah. soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, the last question, and last but certainly not least, um, is from James Belmont, friend of the show at James Belmont. Uh, yeah, he puts the important question, 
What were the most valuable records that Adam had to sell from his record collection in order to fund low life love? And this is a great question because you, yeah, you, you were a lifelong collector of vinyl, right? And then that film came along and you had to, to get rid of so much of it. Yeah, yeah. I really just sort of closing my eyes and, and putting <laughs> them up on eBay and all that. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, the most, the, the probably the three rarest ones that I sold, um, I mean, I, you'd have to really be into like hardcore soul and, and and 70s modern soul and all that to know what I was talking about. But um, one is called Roy, by Roy Roberts, uh, so, so Much in Love, which um, is just, really 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 rare i don't think there are many copies in the whole world and that's right. i bought that uh and sold it for about two and a half thousand pounds um uh the other one sensations by called uh but demanding man was a northern soul song uh i forgot how much i sold it for i bought it for, for about i mean even for expect it was quite expensive like uh 600 pounds and i sold it for, for more than double that but recently um i just saw one go on sale on ebay for uh for for nearly three thousand pounds, so it's obviously gone up in price since I sold it. Man, and and the the most expensive now, which uh, there's a uh, a, soul, a band called the Parisians and a song called Twinkle Little Star, which I had bought many years ago for about four hundred pounds, which seemed like a a lot at that time, and I sold it for about um, one and a half thousand pounds. But recently, it was sold for three and a half thousand pounds. Uh, Maybe the same copy that I sold for, for <laughs> that's on yeah. that, um, because there aren't many copies of it out there. And uh, I think those are the three most uh, expensive ones or the rarest ones that, uh, that yeah, if I, if I still had them, I could be uh, funding a lot more expensive film nowadays. Oh. <laughs> Do you still have any rare ones or you got rid of yeah, them? I still, I still got some rare ones. Um, yeah, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just putting the box in. The, it, 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 all my records recently have just been or underneath my 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 kids' diapers. So um, <laughs> yes. I haven't gone near them for a while, to be honest. For sure. Okay, that's it. We made, we reached the end. A lot of questions, and uh, I hope I wonder who's stayed with us to the end. But if they have, they can uh, find out who the answer is. So I shall let. I was going to say we should actually this this should be a good test. So we won't announce this on Twitter or anywhere. You can oh. only know you've won if you've listened to the end of the podcast. We should have said that at the beginning. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see. Okay, I'm going to put the random number generator on now. 25 came out. Okay, 25, who's that? It is... Andre. Andre Salguero. At Andre M. Salguero. The question was, what's your favorite Japanese director? Huh. Well, wow. congratulations, Andre. Your favorite Third Window Films Blu-ray is now available to claim via Adam Terrell. And if for some reason you haven't claimed it in uh, in a week, then I've known you haven't gotten this far and I shall contact you. Just <laughs> <laughs> You could announce on Twitter. I don't care. I just think it'll be interesting to be like... No, I want to wait. Now. I want to wait a week at least uh, just, just to see. Yeah, love that. Well, yeah, that was fun, man. Like, I think we should do this more often. Obviously, not every month, but um, <laughs> let some time pass to see what other questions can come out. Yes, next time we shall make it a little more open to, to you and some questions. Uh, oh, that'll be a much shorter episode. <laughs> uh, um, what have we got coming up in February? Um, anything special that we can look forward to? 
Well, March is um, the two Ishizogo films, uh, Electric Dragon and Punk Samurai. So maybe in February we, we shall talk about Ishizogo or we, let's 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 yeah. think and maybe Perfect. maybe we shall. Yeah, nice one. Well, it's good to see you again. Um, yeah, it's going to be a good year, I think. You've got a good solid uh, catalogue coming out and I'm sure more in the pipeline. Yes, uh, more that uh, I have yet, uh, yet announced. So uh, listen to this and you shall find out before anyone else. Perfect. So yeah, if you're not following Adam yet, it's at Third Window on uh, Twitter and Third Window Films everywhere else, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, Letterboxd, apparently. You're on there now? Apparently. Apparently. Um, and I'm at BenjiBox. That's BenjiBox spelt with a Y. And that's mainly on Twitter and Letterboxd. That's where you can find me babbling about film. But yeah, thank you for listening to the end. We really appreciate it. And as we said before, stick around this year because it's going to be a big one for the Third Window Films podcast. Lots more to see. Cool. Well, until next time, we'll see you on the Third Window Films podcast. Two flights up by the third Window from the right Two flights up By the third Window from the right The third window from the right Two flights up That's the one with the shade pulled down That's the one where